Well, before I have a chance to introduce Lexia, stand up and, and welcome Lexia Meek this morning. Everybody, come on, stand up. That's what we do around here. That's what we do. <laughs> I was supposed to call her up, but she know. came up early. <laughs> this is Lexia Meek. We love Lexi. You go ahead and sit down. We stand because uh, we like to honor people where honor is due. And uh, Lexia is incredible. Her and her husband, Todd. Todd, where are you at? In the back. I knew you would be. He's, you're just a steady back row guy. I love it. We love Todd and Lexia. They are a, a core part of this family. Uh, they help lead one of our life groups. They served on our board of directors for a little while. Uh, Todd and Lexia, if you've been with us, you know that uh, our church is part of a network of churches around the world. And both Todd and Lexia have been involved with the network of Antioch churches uh, for a long, a long time. 23 years? 23 years. So that's longer than this church has been around by a long shot. And uh, I actually uh, met Todd and Lexia when uh, I was at Baylor in, in Waco, going to Antioch there in Waco. And they're just those people that when you get around them, your faith gets bigger, you smile more, you believe God for bigger things, and it's just encouraging to be around them. And so as you know, we've been having people from our family share these few weeks, and I'm excited that we get to hear from Lexia this morning. She's going to share, she's going to share her story with us, her, her, her testimony, the ups and the downs, and all about the faithfulness of God in the midst of every single season. Amen? Anybody thankful for that? Awesome. So uh, we're going to shout her down. We're going to be with her this morning. I hope you're ready to receive the word of God. I'm going to pray over her, and she's going she's gonna to speak with us this morning. Jesus, we thank you for Lexia. We pray that you fill her with the Holy Spirit and hope this morning. Uh, just speak, Isaiah 60, even over her, Lord, that she would arise and shine. Her light has come. I thank you for her story, Lord, and I thank you uh, that you are in every single bit of it. I thank you, Lord, for her faithfulness for decades to seek you in the highs and in the lows. And I thank you that this message this morning is the fruit of decades of living life and seeking you. It's not just a good talk or something, but this is the truth. And I uh, pray that you open up our hearts to receive it. Lord, we, we thank you for Alexia. We thank you for Todd and the meek kids. Would you bless them all in Jesus' name? We love them. And everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you. All right. Well, Andrew said to um, share your story. And since I'm 40, you guys are going to have to fasten your seatbelts because... I'm starting before I was born, so <laughs> get ready. And I'm not used to talking in one of these, so if I turn, I'm used to not holding a mic, so if I turn rapper or uh, you can't hear me, let me know. But I might rap, who knows, anyway. Um, okay, so <clears throat> when my mom, my mom was eight months pregnant, she had been having headaches repeatedly. And she went to the doctor, and the doctor said, oh, it's not a big deal. Just go take a Tylenol. Call me in the morning. Well, the headaches continued, and she went back to the doctor, and she said, something's wrong. And he said, well, let's keep you here for the night, and um, we'll just see what's going on. And so she was in the hospital, and she turned to my dad, and she said, honey, why don't you go home, and you just get a good night's sleep. I'm going to be fine. I'll see you in the morning. Well, she kissed my dad, and he left, and about 30 minutes later, a nurse walked into the emergency room as my mom was flatlining, and the nurse quickly screamed, and the doctors came running, and they took a scalpel, and they cut my mom, and they pulled me out of my mom's body, and on April 26, 1976, my mother, Gloria Campbell, gave her life for me that I would live. 
This story, it's a miracle in the middle of something like this. Usually a toxic pregnancy will um, take the life of the baby and not always the mother. But in this case, there was something about it that God had purposed me to live. And I don't know what your story's like, but I can say that if you're sitting in this room living and breathing, you have a reason to be alive. You are not a mistake. You are not an accident, but God has made you to live. He knit you in your mother's womb. You have a purpose in life. Well, my, um, the day that my mom died, my dad was there. My dad remarried a beautiful woman named Jane, and they had two sons who were my brothers, and I grew up in Zionsville, so just right up there. I like to say I was born out of Zion. <laughs> anyway, but uh, little Zion. Um, I grew up in Zionsville, and um, we really had a typical, just middle-class American life. My um, dad worked a lot. My parents were completely and totally in love. Um, they did not know God deeply. My dad grew up Catholic, and I would say that they... Um, really just had an Easter Christmas relationship with God. But there was something in me that from the time I was little knew that I needed to know something different. And I would ask my parents all the time about who God was. Well, in high school, I met someone named Jenny, and she, her, she and her family introduced me to Jesus. And so I received Jesus when I was a sophomore in high school, but I'll say that I received Jesus and I fumbled along in my journey to find him. I went to a church and I would sit in the pews and I quickly learned what it meant to look Christian. So it was like, I'm going to try to stop cussing like a sailor. I'm going to try to stop making out with boys and I'm just going to try to do this Christian thing. But I kind of lived this double life, and I didn't know really, even though my heart wanted to know God, I didn't know how to know him. I didn't know how to spend time with him. And then when I thought about going to college, I didn't even pray about where to go, and someone came in and said, do you want to go to a Christian school? I'm like, why? They're like, well, it might just be a good idea. And so I Googled, and I Googled, and Baylor University was the first Christian university that came up that had more than 5,000 people, so I said, I'll go there. So, woo, sick um, bears. So I went to Baylor. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to go to Baylor. And I, right before I was going to go to Baylor, I packed up everything. And right before I was going to leave, we get a phone call. And we found out that my dad's sister and my nephew had been killed in a car accident. And I went to the funeral. And I remember sitting there. It was the first time that I'd seen my dad weep. And as I saw him weep, I realized I was angry at God. I looked and said, God, if you're good, how could you do this? How could you take this innocent little boy and my aunt? How could you leave their two kids? How could you let them see their mother die in a car accident? There's no way that you're good. And I sat there, and I was among a lot of people that didn't know God. And inside, I did not know him either. I realized when I went to college, man, if I'm going to believe that Jesus is real, something's got to change. I've got to find who this man is. And so I went to, to school, and I stumbled upon Antioch my first week there. And I remember going to Antioch being like, they stand up all the time. They sing all the time. They raise their hands. They're crazy. They're doing things that my little Presbyterian church did not do, and I did not know what they were doing. But I looked and I saw people and I said, they're not just doing something, they know someone. 
they know someone. And I stuck, and I stayed. And I, a girl discipled me, and she, the girl that discipled me, I'd never seen anyone who loved Jesus as much as she did. And in that time, I just said, I'm going to find you, God. And I started to spend time with Jesus. And she said, you know that God can speak to you. And so I started listening for his voice. He would say, I love you. I'm with you. And I remember one day, I was just flipped open my Bible. It's kind of like, you know, I don't know, your horoscope Bible reading. But I opened up the Bible, and I looked down, and my eyes landed on Ezekiel 16. Not, I'm not usually an Ezekiel. But this is what the verse says. It says, One, on the day that you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do these things for you. Rather, you were thrown in an open field. But I passed by you, and I saw you kicking about in your blood, and I said, live. And at that moment, at that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, Lexia, in your birth, the doctors were flurrying around. The, everything was happening, but I saw you laying there in your blood and I said, live. And at that moment, when the Holy Spirit spoke to me, years of shame and pain were lifted from my life. You see, I thought I killed my mom. And I thought, if I took my mother's life, then I better live a really good one. I better make it worth it. But God, in his kindness, said, no, baby girl, I saved you. You didn't kill her. I saved you. You know him. He lives with you. He will be with you. He will not leave you as an orphan, but he will come to you. That's what the scripture says in John 14. So I started just to fall in love with this man named Jesus. So I graduated. I taught special education for a couple years. And then I went to do our missions training school. I went and did the missions training school because as I fell in love with Jesus, I realized I wanted to follow him wherever he wanted to go. And I just became the girl that said, I'll never do missions, to the girl that said, if I'm going to do missions, I'll do it. And so I did the missions training school, and then I went on staff with the missions training school. And I had dreams and hopes that I would go to the nations. And I had made plans and, and decided that I was going to go serve the Lord overseas. And about that time, my dad started to, to go into a depression, and um, his emotional state just began to decline. He had lost his sister, his nephew, his brother died quickly of AIDS. His dad died all within the span of four years. And he didn't know what to do with the emotional pain of all of that. And so on April 26, 2001, I got a call from my mom. And my mom said, honey, you know that I've said that our that mom and dad love each other, but dad has decided to move out. She said he's having an affairs and he doesn't want to be married anymore. Pain unchecked will cause us to do all kinds of things that aren't who we are. Well, I immediately just shut down and I was in staff leading life groups and sections and, and 
on staff with the mission training school at that time, and I just began to busy myself and forget the pain that this divorce was causing me. And I remember I sat and I met with someone, and he said to me, Lexia, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He said, if you don't face the pain that you're you're feeling with your parents' divorce, then you will not receive the comfort of God. If you pretend that the mountain's not there, it's, not, it's still going to be there. But you can go around and around that mountain if you think it's not there. But God says, no, you look at that mountain, you name that mountain, you say this is painful. And if you name the mountain, you can move the mountain. If you name the mountain, you can climb the mountain and you can find God. So my mom said, she calls me up and she says, Lexia, I know that you're about to be 26 years old, but I just want to see if you'd be willing for me to adopt you officially. And I'm like, "Eh." (laughs) Um, no, yes, I want you to adopt me. She said, I never really did just because I thought you'd know I was your mom, but since dad's divorcing, I want you to know that I love you and that I'm with you. And my relationship with my mom has not been an easy one. So for her to say, I want you to know that I want you, was so important to me. So she came down to Texas, and I remember it was my golden birthday. I was turning 26 on the 26th, and I was like, yes! And I felt like God said, she's going to meet me when she comes here. And so she came down, and um, on April 26th, she signed the adoption papers, and we signed them together on my actual birthday. And then later that night, we were worshiping. If those of you went to the worship night, James Mark, who led worship, he um, always leads worship for me on my birthday. And so we had him and friends all gathered around. We were singing songs, and my mom is just like, oh, you know, crying. I mean, he can make anybody cry. And um, she, she's like, honey, I don't know what all this pain that's coming up in my heart, but I know that I need God. And the next morning we go to church and she says, I want to pray that prayer they're talking about. And so we prayed and we said, Jesus, I knelt with my mom and we prayed for her to start to believe in Jesus. And so the promise of God was starting to come to pass. And that next morning she left on a plane to Indianapolis. And I boarded a plane to go to Tunisia with my training school. That's what we just do, you know, Tunisia, why not? Um, so I went to Tunisia, and I get to Tunisia, and they, I get there, and they say, hey, you need to call home. So I just got in there. I said, okay, I'll, I'll go call home. So me and the other leader that was with me, we went down to this phone booth in the middle of Tunisia. Trust me, it was an interesting scene. So you've got all these foreign people who cannot speak English. I am in this glass like phone booth with a stack of quarters and I'm I'm calling home Todd Meek was actually with me in that phone book or in that phone booth I did not know he was going to be my husband but I'm in the phone booth and I call and they say Lexi you need to call your mom right away I said oh no You see, I hadn't heard from my dad on my birthday that year, and I thought it was strange because every year on my birthday, he tells me how much he loves me and how much his life and how much when he looks at me, he thinks of my mom and just how how much he loves me, and I hadn't heard from him. 
I call my mom and my mom says, honey, your dad's dead. She said he's taken his own life, baby, and we found him. He's been dead for three days. And at that moment, I felt like this tree had been ripped from my very gut. I felt all this pain, and I just slumped down in the, in the phone booth. And I could hear on the other line Kevin Johnson at our church, and he could hear me wailing. And he's like, Lexi, Alexi, are you okay? Are you okay? All I could get out was my top buttons buttoned, Kevin, my top buttons buttoned. Again, not the thing that comes to your mind, (laughs) but that's all I could get out. You see, I'd heard a sermon four years ago, and a man talked about his wife being in a horrible accident, and he said, you know, in this life you will have pain and you will have trouble, but you see, If you have a shirt with buttons, if you'll button that top button first, it will help you align all the other buttons. For the believer, he said, if we can understand this top button is the truth that God is good. No matter what hell is coming against you, no matter what pain you're feeling, you can believe that God is good, then I trust you, you will be okay. And you see, the God I knew in that phone booth was not the God I knew at the funeral with my aunt. I didn't know him like I knew him then. So I knew I could stand and say, he's my beautiful friend. He's the one that's shown me love over and over and over again, and he will be with me. You see, God is good. And can I say, there is a lot of terrible things in this world. But what I will say is the truth that God is good. And if we can hold on to that truth, it will get us through. There is a battle over the goodness of God. It says that in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. They will blame God for all kinds of things. And can I say that who is bad is Satan. He comes to kill. He comes to steal. And he comes to destroy. But God is good. And if in our minds, what I've seen over and over again, and it happened with me, is that we limit our belief in the goodness of God if we have roadblocks in our mind about who he is. Our theology of the goodness of God has to start with the person of Jesus. If it starts with the Old Testament, you'll get lost. If it starts with your circumstances, you'll get lost. It has to start in the man who came. The beautiful man who came and healed lepers, who healed blind eyes, who did not cast the first stone, who overcame death and hell, our kindness, our belief in the character of God. He said, if you have seen 
Jesus, you have seen me. Jesus never was the author of death. He was never the author of destruction. He was never the giver of shame. But Jesus was the one who destroyed death and hell. He was the one who looked shame in the face and said, beautiful, loved, fully unashamed. That is what the goodness of God looks like. He doesn't stop doing us good, Jeremiah 21 says. We cannot look at our circumstance to define the goodness of God. We have to look at Jesus. We're tempted in our pain to believe that we are alone. That we've been abandoned. No one understands. I'm alone in this. There's no hope. No one can possibly know what I've been through. No one can possibly know what I've done. Surely no one has thought what I've thought. We're alone. Surely I have to live for myself. Surely I have to make my own way. Satan was the first orphan, the only orphan, the only one who had to leave his father's presence. All of us have been bought with a price. We are sons and daughters, and Satan knows what it means to be orphaned. And he wants all of us to think that we are orphaned. I love this story of the prodigal son. I love that they title it son. Because when you look at the older son and you look at the younger son, what I would say is that in their minds, they were orphans. The older son, he was orphaned because he didn't believe the truth about his father. He didn't believe. He thought God was an angry, stingy, selfish God who is out to punish him or to treat his other brothers and sisters better than him. He doubted who God was. The younger son was orphaned because he doubted himself. The greatest danger is that we doubt God and we don't believe he is who he says he is. The prodigal thought, surely I cannot receive the father's love. Something is wrong with me. But you see, orphans don't have an inheritance they don't have an inheritance, and orphans are controlled. We are all orphans. We're orphans in our mind before Jesus comes and rescues us. We think we have to build our own life. Orphans are controlled and motivated by fear. Fear, fear of being left, fear of pain, fear. It's not who we were created to be. Sons. True, true sons are motivated by love. Lovers will do anything. Sons are motivated by love. You know, I want my son to, 
obey me, but man, I don't want to get him to obey me because I give him a stern, please obey me. I've done that before maybe once or twice. Maybe once, maybe once. Um, I want my son to obey because he knows that mama wants the best for him. Because he knows mama loves him. Jesus came and he bore our punishment on the cross. If the enemy is lying to you today and saying your pain is punishment, you did something wrong, so I'm going to cause this to happen. It's not true. God is not the source of those things. In his, he lets it happen. He lets certain things happen, but it's not because he doesn't love us. He is not punishing us with our circumstances. The day my dad left me, oh my, I've got to roll. Okay, <laughs> okay, so um, my dad was there. The day that my mom left, my dad was there. And I remember when I flew back from Tunisia, I'm flying back and I gathered and it was the time for me to go to my dad's memorial service. And I remember I sat at the memorial, I was getting ready to go to the memorial service and I didn't want to go. I was like, there's no way I want to go to this. And I had my friends there and I said, will you just worship with me? Will you worship with me until I can get the strength to show up and shake everybody's hand and pretend I'm okay and see them cry when on the inside I'm dying? Can you worship with me to that point? And so we are worshiping, and when, as we were worshiping, I felt like nobody else was in the room. And I felt like I saw in my mind a picture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you remember the story, he's about to face the most painful thing on the cross. He's about to face it. And he looks up and he says, Father, if you're willing, will you let this pass from me? He's human. He was human. What human wants to say, please bring it on, the pain? No, we're human. We hate pain. Who doesn't want, we don't want pain. We're not asking for it. He says, if it's possible, can there be another way? But it said, for the joy set before Jesus. Not this momentary thing, but for the future glory. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He drank of the cup. And what was the joy set before Jesus? The joy set before Jesus was intimacy with his father. Intimacy with the bride. And then he was able to plunder the camp of the devil. That was the joy that was set before Jesus. And when they took and beat him in his body, when he felt like he couldn't do it, he said yes. And in that moment, I knew that God was giving me an invitation. He was saying, Lexia, you don't have to face this. You don't have to face the fact that you're, this isn't me, but you guys. You don't have to face the fact that you got divorced. You don't have to face the fact that you feel like a failure because you lost your job. You don't have to face the fact because you can't get over an addiction and you feel bad. You can face it. You don't have to. But if you face the pain of your own life, it will be an invitation to receive from God. 
So at that moment, I said, Jesus, I trust you. I want to drink of this cup because I know that my greatest joy and my greatest privilege is to know God. Jesus, I want to know you. I want to fellowship with you in your sufferings. I want to know Jesus. That is our greatest joy, knowing him. And if knowing him means I have to say yes to this cup, bring it on. I don't want to live life without him. And these invitations are going to come over and over again. So I said I will drink. I want to read this scripture, Philippians 3, 10 through 11. It says, for many walk of whom I've often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross, their end is destruction, their God is their appetite, their glory is their shame, and they set their mind on earthly things. Okay, this word appetite means heart, emotions, pain, feelings. So what this scripture is saying simply is this. If you let your pain and your emotions and your feelings and your appetites become your God, it will end in shame and pain and maybe even death. It did for my dad. That's what happened. The pain of life got too great, and he didn't know Jesus, and so he reached out to all these things, to alcohol, to work, to affairs, because he thought this thing has to stop hurting. We don't like pain, and it's okay. We're not made to. We weren't made for it. But if we'll just wait, we can find God. It says that Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Literally, what what does that mean? He was literally hungry, right? He was feeling it. He comes home, he's like, I'm so hungry. Give me something to eat now. So hungry, he was willing to waste everything else for the immediate pleasure that would be given to him from split pea soup. Seriously, I'm like, could you at least make a steak dinner? However, split pea soup, and he lost his inheritance. Death and destruction. But let me see, there's a promise in the scripture. Let's go back to this cup. When we say yes to the cross, when we say yes to Jesus, he knew this. He knew what this cup represented. This cup represented suffering and pain, but it also represented intimacy. When a Jewish man would ask his bride to be his, he would simply say to her, drink this cup. And when she did, they became engaged It was the invitation to say, in sickness and in health, I'll be with you. Jesus knew that this cup was an engagement cup with his father. It was a thing of saying, I will be with you, and I want to be with you forever. He says it again with this, John 7, 37 and 39 through 39. It says, on the last day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart or innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This word innermost being, the same word 
translated as belly in Philippians. So what is this saying? He's literally sitting there talking to this crowd on the last day of the feast. It's like after you've eaten Thanksgiving and you're stuffed to your gourd, and your mom comes in and says, anybody hungry? You want something to eat? You want something to drink? That's what Jesus did. He's saying this. If you have the 2.2 kids, your house is great, your job's going well, everything looks good in life, but you know that those are only secondary blessings and you realize that you're still hungry, come. He's saying, you still have pain. Your belly, your pain, your appetites, your emotions still want to be your God. And if you recognize that the steak dinner, the, the pornography, the cigarette, the affair will never fill it, the good job title, the kind works you do, that will never fill this pain, and you're still hungry and you're still thirsty, come. And he says, I will not only heal that pain, but I will cause it to bring rivers of living water. I will redeem it. Everything the enemy went for evil, God will turn it to good. Sorry, I got my preach on. I'm like, boo. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> so that river in my own life began to flow. I said, Jesus, I'm going to fumble through this. You know, Oftentimes, I would reach for the immediate relief. I'm not going to say I did or did not smoke a cigarette during that time. I did or did not, you know, go and I remember wandering around Walmart and I just like bought Snicker bar and a magazine just to kind of like, you know, not bad things necessarily in and of themselves. Food is not sin. Food becomes comfort when we eat the entire pan of brownies, not enjoy a brownie with our husband in the evening. You know? It's the keg, not the glass, all right? Okay? So, <laughs> um, so I said, God, I don't want to numb. I want to find you. And that river started flowing. So when I found out that there was a tsunami in Sri Lanka, do you remember that? It was forever ago. Um, I said, I'm willing to go. I had always had a heart for the Maldives and for that area of the world. And so they said, hey, would you be willing to go? And I was like, I'm 29, I'm single. Why do I want to move overseas to the other side of the world? But I did because the river of God was flowing. And when I saw the eyes of the people in Sri Lanka, I knew that the comfort I'd received, I could give to them. And I didn't have any fear because God had met me. So I go and live in Sri Lanka, and um, I can't preach about that. I wish I could, because it was amazing. Um, long, long story short, I came back. Longer, longer, longer story, really, really short. I married Todd Meek. Woo! Woo! Best decision. Um, he was in the phone booth weeping, and I didn't know he was gonna be my husband, but he was. And I married Todd Meek. And when we, the day, soon after we got married, I got pregnant, really soon after, really soon. And so my, I find out I'm pregnant, and the doctor says, well, um, you're pregnant, and you're going to have a little baby girl, and she is due on April 24th. If you'll remember, April 26th 
was the day that my mom died. April 26th was the day that my dad died, that my mom signed, my new mom signed the adoption papers. April 24th was the day that my daughter was due. My husband said, she's coming on the 26th. I know she is. We're making a movie. She's got to come on the 26th. I said, all right, well, I said, well, okay. But I looked up, and I got to rush. Okay, I looked up, and I said, um, I said, okay. I went home, and I saw that April 24th that year was Easter Sunday. It had never been Easter Sunday before that date. It won't be Easter Sunday on April 24th again until my daughter is 84 years old. But that year... April 24th was Easter Sunday, and I said, she's coming on Easter Sunday. So at 11.59 and 50 seconds, my daughter, Addison Rez, Rez for Resurrection, Meek, was born. You see, death in, in God. We do not have to stay stuck in death. We can live for a resurrection Friday's there, Sunday's coming. In Christ, every death has a resurrection. We can stay stuck blaming God. We can stay stuck believing that we're not good for anything. Or we can carry about within us the resurrection of Jesus, and we can look at the face of death and say, to hell with you, death. Jesus has overcome And when I look at my daughter's face, I believe that in Christ, every death has a resurrection. And it may not happen this side of heaven, but it's not the end. It's not the end. We're still going, okay? So, my husband and I, we, we, long story short, get a call, longer story. We decide we're going to go, we want to move to Indonesia because we had a heart for children and adoption and seeing children rescued. And we thought, oh, well, let's just pack up. I had another kid, his name's Quinn, and all that. I said, let's pack up. Let's pack up our four kids, or, or two kids, and move to Indonesia. Why not? We don't fear. We want to live. We want our inheritance. Um, so we moved to Indonesia, and about seven months after we were there, I had a dream, and I dreamt that I was pregnant, and that I had a baby in a day. I'm like, oh, okay, (laughs) that'd be nice, one. But um, I talked to Todd, and I said, babe, what do you think the dream means? I just had a dream that I had a baby, and I, I had the dream on December 28th. And he said, I don't know. So I said, maybe we're supposed to start praying about adopting a kid. An Indonesian baby, maybe. And so we started praying. Shortly after that, we get a phone call. Phone rings. And it was Todd's sister. And he said, hey, my son has been put in foster care. I'm wondering if you know anyone that would be willing to take him. I know that you're probably not. You live in Indonesia. But do you know anyone? Joshua's birthday is December 28th. I knew immediately. I probably didn't need the dream, but thanks God. (laughs) Um, He's ours. We're supposed to go get him. So I'm on the flight back, and I'm talking to God. And I'm like, God, you do realize that, like, 
We sold things in America. We took a, in the air, you add it all up, it's like 38 hours with toddlers. I said, I will never do that again. Like, I won't ever bring my toddlers on a plane. It's like the most insane thing for 38 hours. I'm, and I'm like, and then we set up our life in Indonesia. I learned language for six months. And then now I just have to leave it all and get on a plane. And I'm like, God. We, and we can have these sessions, right? We're friends. And he says to me, Lex, you're just looking at your own story. He said, that's not the whole story. The whole story is that there's a little boy in Colorado named Joshua. And he needs to know that his mom and dad didn't just make a flippant decision but that we left everything, literally traveled around the world to take him home. Your story's not the only story, baby girl. I know you wished it was, but it's not. He needs to know that. That's the kind of God I am. That's the kind of dad that I am, that I come and I get you. I meet with you. So we went and we adopted Joshua and I remember we were driving in the car it was just him and I and it was when I was getting ready to tell him that we were going to take him home I'd like to also say his name is Joshua and his name is River his middle name anytime we're about to meet resistance what does God say to us fear not for I am with you you have a promised land inheritance. That's who Joshua was. He was a man who took the promised land, who did not live as an orphan, but knew that God was with him and took every chance he could get. And his middle name is River because in every place of pain, if we come to God, the river of God will flow out of us. So I was telling Joshua, hey, Joshua, we're going to adopt you. And he says, nothing. He sits there and I'm thinking, does he want this to happen? And then I hear this. I finally have a dad. We have a father in heaven. We have a father in heaven who loves us, who loves us deeply. We all have a dad. We all have a mom. His name is God. He loves us. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. He will meet us in our pain. And can I say the last four years of my life have actually had more pain in them than the story I just told you? I cannot get into it, but I have been in the darkest hour of my life right now. But do you know what God spoke to me and said? He said, the darkness is not dark to me. In the dark, you may not always see the light, but you can always hear my voice in the dark. You can hear my voice, and I will speak, and I can speak into the darkness, and I can create. 
A caterpillar is stuck in its cocoon and it looks like nothing is happening. But when you think nothing is going to happen, you have to believe that a butterfly is going to emerge. Death does not have the final say. Resurrection life is coming and heaven is better than we think. There is no pain, no death, no fear. And we can believe the prayer that heaven on earth as it is in heaven, that this day we will still have pain and tribulation. But what I can say is that God will be with us and it matters what we believe because creation our light and momentary afflictions are creating for us a greater weight of glory that the creation groans and waits for the revealing of the sons of man every single person in here has an inheritance it doesn't matter what's happened in your past it doesn't matter what happens in your future today if you will seek his face you will find him and i can tell you we can turn this city upside down the nations of the earth will be drawn to our light there are thirsty people everywhere there are people saying i didn't even know there was a feast wherever you're at today god can meet you he's with us he's in us and we carry within us the light we are never alone stand andrew's gonna finish us up God is good, amen? Amen. Well, at the end of every one of our services, we like to worship again and have a moment of response. And the Bible says that it's a blessing to hear the word of God, and we've gotten washed with a word this morning. But the Bible says the blessing is when you respond to it. And uh, we are going to sing a song right now. We've done it a handful of times before. It's called, It'll Come to the Altar. And altar, I think, is a word that maybe we don't you know, use a whole lot in our lives, but um, all through the, the Old Testament and all through tradition, the altar has been a place of exchange. It's a place where you came and you uh, sacrificed something and it was on your behalf. You would exchange your sin, you would exchange your weakness for the mercy of God. And on the cross, that's what happened. The cross was an altar that God created for you where his son took on your sin and your shame in exchange so that you could have his life. It's a place of exchange, and this song is, Oh, come to the altar, oh, come to the place of exchange. And if you've grown up in church, you may be familiar with services ending like this, and it's called the altar call, and it's, you know, for everybody who wants to give their lives to Jesus, and that's 100% what it is. But today, um, I want the, the call, oh, come to the altar, to just be a general invitation to all of us, that if there's something that you need to exchange for the goodness of God, and I want you to come to the altar this morning. That's Lexia's story. That's what she's been telling us all morning. We've got pain, but you need to exchange it for healing. You've got hopelessness that you need to exchange for hope. You've got sin that you need to exchange for righteousness. You've got addiction that you need to exchange for freedom. Would you come to the altar? The Father's arms are open wide this morning. I love what she said, the top button's got to be buttoned. And that might be an exchange that you need to make this morning. The top button has been your circumstances. 
The top button has been your understanding of situations. It's been emotions. It's been opinions, other people's that you need to exchange it for the goodness of God. And when we say come to the altar for us, it just kind of means the front's open as we sing this song. And it's just an invitation. There's nothing special about the front of the room, but so many times a physical act sort of solidifies what God's doing on the inside. And, and maybe more than even anything spiritual, it's a reminder for us that next time that old top button tries to come up in our head or that old thing is saying, no, I walked to the front. I came to the altar. I came to the altar. I don't feel it right now, but I got an exchange for that thing. I gave that away and got something new. So... As we sing this song, it might be one of you, it might be all of you, and there's just an invitation this morning. If you want to end this morning making an exchange, something that is stealing from you, killing from you, or, or killing you or destroying you, if you want to exchange it for life abundant in Jesus, I want to invite you to come to the altar. And what I mean by that is I'm going to pray here in just a second, and I just invite you to come to the front and just worship, that's all, and just talk to God. And you may need to give your life to Jesus for the first time. And if you want to do that, feel free to go over to the side, have somebody pray with you. You may just need to come up on your own and just say, God, I'm here. And I give you, I give you my life. It's not a special prayer that's going to do it. It's not a special anything. But we just want to be people who come to the altar. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to pray for us. And just as I pray and when I finish, I invite you just to, just to start moving. If you're the only one, the exchange is worth it. The exchange is worth it this morning to come to the altar this morning. Lord, we love you and we thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to exchange what is being uh, stolen from us, what is killing us, and what is destroying us for the life abundant in Jesus. We thank you for the altar this morning, the place of exchange. And I ask God that these final minutes together would be rich, that they would be abundant, that we would step into our inheritance as children of God, not as orphans. Lord, I pray that our mindsets that are keeping us from you would be broken off right now. I pray that our pain that has been leading us to do things that go against who we are would be healed right now. I pray that every bit of hopelessness that walked in the room would be cast out with the abundant hope of Jesus right now. Lord, I ask that we would be a people who step into Isaiah 60 this morning. Arise and shine for your light has come. Lord, we come to the altar this morning and we invite you, Holy Spirit, in our final moments together, would you come, would you give us everything that we're hungry for? Would you let rivers flow out of our hearts this morning? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I invite you to come up this morning.